You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that from all different fields are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Grit and Grace. We are really excited to be bringing you a couple of episodes that are actually bonus episodes. And they are recorded live at the InvestHer event, which is their annual fundraising event. And if you guys haven't met the ladies of InvestHer, I suggest you go listen to that podcast because they are doing amazing things. And listen, here's what you guys need to know. That in the 2016 election... 33% of all individual donors to any campaign were women. But the problem is, is that those women were primarily supporting male candidates. So this political action committee, which is invest her, and yes, that's H-E-R at the end, they have developed this model, this pack, where their goal is to bring more women to the table to support other female candidates. And they do it by supporting candidates on both sides of the aisle, which I think is fantastic. And here's another interesting statistic for you to know. 65% of women say that the number one barrier to them running to office is lack of funds. And this is just atrocious because we all know that we need more women in political positions um, across this nation and at the state level and at the local level because we're still at 24% of state legislation being positions being held by women. So we are here today to support the women that are running for a variety of elected positions. We're going to interview a bunch of them. So you guys are going to get to know a ton of the ladies that are running for the House of Representatives, both local and at the national level. We have senators. We have, I think we even have one of Denver City Council members here who is, I think, going into her third term, which is very exciting. So stay tuned. We're going to bring you two amazing episodes. I'm sitting down with Stephanie Rose Spaulding, who is currently running for U.S. Senate. And in Colorado, there are how many Senate candidates right now? At this point, there are 12. Wow, is that a lot? That is a lot. It feels like the presidential. Yeah, and I was surprised to see there's like seven women, right? Yes, exciting right now to know that there are so many women who have stepped up to position themselves for U.S. Senate. And, okay, so let's take it back a little bit. Let's hear a little bit more about you. Tell us a little bit about your history, like where you come from. Before I start asking the hard questions, like why are you running for U.S. Senate? Sure. (laughs) Because that's a big question. So I am originally from the south side of Chicago. I grew up there. Most of my family is still there. And I moved to Colorado in 2010 
as a professor of women's and ethnic studies at the University of Colorado in the Springs. So I've been there for about nine years now. And is that UCCS? It is UCCS. Aww. And I am chair of our program. I've earned tenure there. And I'm a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Colorado mm. Springs. So I've built a really wonderful home community here in Colorado. That's nice. Actually, my daughter just did her first year of college at UCCS. Yay. What's yeah. her major? Um, her She was in the entrepreneurship program, but she has actually decided to leave that program and pursue art school. So, I mean... Sort of still creative, but a totally different path in school for sure. Um, but it's a good school. Yes, she's still at UCCS. No, she's not. She's going to be starting art school in January. But okay, we really liked our time at UCCS. Like it's a good school, and and I really like the way that they are fostering the next generation to think outside of the box. Yes, I truly enjoy being a professor there and just the academic community as well as the community at large that I've been able to connect with. So this isn't your first political race. This is not my first race. I ran for the U.S. House in Colorado's 5th Congressional District in the last cycle, and that was my first race. And what was that like? It was brutal. Mm. It was definitely a learning experience, but was also rewarding in the sense of having a firsthand experience of what it is on the other side of electoral politics, having been involved in community activism for so long and definitely being a voter for so long. You really never know what it's like to actually run for office until you do it. Mm. Yeah, I um, I'm actually friends with a couple city council members and I used to do some work with um, with Mayor Hogan and I've done some work with Mayor Hancock. And so I've seen a little bit of that side, nothing to what you experienced actually running for position, uh, but it's hard. It is definitely hard. And anyone who says otherwise is not telling the truth. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for people to be armchair critics of those that are running and have strong opinions on viewpoints. But I think sometimes at the end of the day, we forget that there's a human being behind the person that is is standing up in front of the world and saying, I want to make a change. Yes. And often our expectations are not realistic of the people that do say yes. So for anybody that's ever run for office before who's considering running for office or is currently running for office, I just want to say thank you because we have so little engagement from that level because it really truly is taxing on the spirit and the body. So thank you to everyone who has stepped up to say yes to participate in our democracy in that way. So after you ran in the last election um, and you weren't elected, what made you decide to transition into another election? Because clearly it was difficult. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what some of those challenges were. And, you know, what made you decide to do it again, to run again? So, yes, it was difficult, particularly in the district that I ran. One of the hardest challenges was even convincing Democrats that winning that seat is possible. We didn't necessarily win the seat for 2018, but we were able to move the needle in so many ways that had not been done before. And that work lays a foundation for any candidate that is running or will run in the future for CD5. So the greatest hurdle, as I shared, was even convincing Democrats, genuine Democrats, because we've had Republicans who wore Democratic clothes or mm, changed parties right. because they didn't want to run as a Republican against the incumbent. But to have a genuine Democrat run for that seat 
was the hardest part and convincing Democrats that it was worth it and that it was possible to win. So you've paid you. So you paved some new roads is what you're saying. Absolutely. And we earned one hundred and twenty six thousand votes that, you know, again, in raw numbers, no Democrat had ever done that before. What made me continue or to run for this position is to recognize as I talked to voters in that district, as I met people across the state, the work itself continues. Those issues don't go away. And whether it's that seat or a larger seat because of the political structure of Colorado, then we have to remain committed to that work. But there was one specific instant that really put me over the edge and said, all right, I'm back in it. Because even on the campaign trail, people were like, if this doesn't work out, you should think about running for Senate. I got an email in February from a mother in Douglas County, and Douglas County is not in the 5th Congressional District, but she had paid attention to the race that we ran in 2018. And her email was simple but urgent and basically said, I don't know what you're thinking about doing. I don't know if you've thought what you're going to do next, but I need you to run for Senate. And I looked at that email on a cold February night and I tossed it to the side and went to bed. But I got up the next morning and I called her and she began to tell me her story about moving from Georgia and the school district here in Douglas County, not allowing her daughter to register for school. They would not accept her 15 year old daughter and her daughter was out of school for almost two months. And then she began to share how she had sold her business for almost 10 years in Georgia. She's a tax accountant and preparer. And so she had sold her six-figure income business and with hopes of restarting it here in Colorado, but people would not trust her. Why is that? Like, what happened? Like, what was... Well, one, she's African-American in a predominantly white community, Mm. and building that clientele and trust was difficult for her. And then... Her husband got into a work accident, and so that began to spiral economically out of control for them. And then she laid it on the line and said the reason she'd moved from Georgia was because at the time she has had a four-year-old son who's now six, and she did not want him to be playing outside one day, reaching for a toy, to be mistaken for a gun and be executed mm. on Georgia streets. Mm. And so... She said, I need somebody who not only gets it theoretically, but knows how to live it and to empathize and to walk in in those experiences when they represent me in Congress. And it was that conversation that said, all right, I'm back in it, but I cannot do this alone. You have to run with me. So you were driven to be someone that can lead for the people. So you really, Absolutely. you really felt. And and has your, has being a woman had an impact on running for you in the previous election and in this one? It has definitely had an impact. We can see right now, and I'm grateful for your podcast and this work that you're doing, um, especially in alternative media. We can look and see here in Colorado that the women candidates, as you mentioned, there are seven of us, yeah. have not gotten the same airplay yeah. as the men in this race. And even when we think about recently Chuck Schumer stepping in to endorse Hickenlooper, the consideration for those who are already in this race is 
just disappoint. It's beyond disappointing. Right, right. But even more so as women. I almost feel like it's, you know, we know that it's a challenge. One of the biggest challenges that um, women have, though, is, is funding. So here we are at an event that is meant to show women how they can support other female candidates. I mean, this is... This is important stuff. And I think that, you know, it's it's not enough for us to say we need more female candidates. People need to understand why there are not. If the barriers are A, uh, race, which, you know, you, I'm sure, has, have faced yourself. I mean, you just shared a story of a woman that is facing that issue still today in Colorado. We know these biases still exist, but they also still exist for women. Yes. And one of the challenges that the women are facing is, is having access to funding to run a campaign. Money doesn't win the election, but without money, you can not get yourself the same amount of exposure that a man can get. So I don't care, you know, which party you support, but as women, we want to give other women the opportunity to run, at least to give them a fair shot. That's our goal. Fair shot, right? Yes. So on a policy platform issue, I'm an advocate for campaign finance reform. Mm. And this is particularly one of the reasons for why campaign finance reform is necessary because it skews the the viability of candidates that we get to choose from, right? Because if you don't come from multi-million dollar networks on top of being a woman, it keeps you out of the race in a mm. lot of ways. And so to your point, we if we keep asking for difference in our Congress, in our state legislatures, even in our city councils, then we have to do something different. And a lot of that starts with how we fund campaigns and who we send our dollars to. Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So this is why we're here, guys. And for those of you listening, if you have not explored who your candidates are for Senate for the 2020 election, you know, now's the time. It's not too soon. You know, start educating yourselves and start looking at all of the candidates and and understanding that this disparaging fact between what women have available in terms of funding versus men, I mean, this is a real issue. And, um, you know, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I I did want to ask you really quick, um, there there seems to be a little controversy for you right now. Are things like, what's going on? Like, can we talk about it? Absolutely. Yeah, what's going on? Because I feel like, you know, from a woman-to-woman perspective, when things get rough, sometimes it's worth sharing what the challenges are so other people can learn. Because none of our paths to get where we want to go are always going to be smooth. Right. So what we really are experiencing is the disparity between running as an African-American woman in a federal race, right? So on top of not having access to the same kind of fundings, which to me personally, I am proud to be a grassroots organizing campaign, right? Right. And that doesn't embarrass me. It does not disparage me. And to still be on the same platform with a lot of individuals who have different pathways and access to resources, I'm proud of the kind of campaign that we have been able to establish on a larger sense, because we are a grassroots campaign and the way in which people come to working for campaigns, they don't they don't have the the skill set often to switch from working for someone who has four hundred million dollars like Jared Polis. Right. And, you know, in their own backyard versus working for someone who is like, no, I personally make about $70,000 a year and I'm putting almost 30000 of that into this campaign myself. Right. Secondly, 
there is a a racial disparity of even working for African-American women and what the expectations might be that might be different from traditional jobs that people have had, even the the kind of authority that African, and, and I've seen it in the classroom, I've seen it in other yeah. positions of leadership, like standing in that authority, standing in the expectation to not really accept mediocrity because that's never been available to us as individuals in this particular society right. as women is very hard for some people to respond to. And it's okay. I've, I've been a professional since I was 20, right? right? I earned a PhD before I was 30. So I've walked these experiences before and know the kind of conflict that comes with trying to navigate that with others. Mm -hmm. But for for me, it's not going to cause me to walk away. It's not going to cause me to back down either. And so are you going to be able to fix the situation of whatever's going on now within your campaign? Well, it's already already fixed. fixed. But, you know, and this is the problem with media, right? Except for media like mine. Like, you know, I'm an independent podcaster, so I get to talk about what I want to talk about. But the thing is, is that I would not have a guest on that wasn't willing to acknowledge that there are facts out there that we address in this and I'm not my podcast is not driven by any media company that gets to determine what stories we share and what slant I put on it and I think that unfortunately the media works that way so it absolutely does to the so much so that there is even if you click on the links, the, the information isn't accurate that the reporter reported, right? Oh, Saying yeah. like a month before the campaign ended. That was a year before, and that information was not yeah, even accurate. Right. Secondly, um, we we sent a response or asked to publish a response, and they never responded. They did not want to publish our response. So you're right. Media yeah. is controlled by corporate interest as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I understand that, which is why I asked in the way that I did, because I'm familiar. I've been down that route. So I feel your pain for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. I know that we didn't have long, but I really appreciate the fact that you're putting yourself out there and you're, you know, you're going into the arena, right? To, to fight for being a leader for the people. And I want you to know that we wish you the best of luck and, you know, a fair race. And we hope that people that are listening will also consider you know, supporting you and, and your campaign as well. And so tell our listeners where they can find more about you. We are at Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Y, 4 dot com, And on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's Stephanie4CO. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm really excited to be sitting down now with Carrie Tipper, who is currently... The House of Representatives, okay, House of Representatives representative for District 28 in Colorado. Yes, that's right. And you were elected in what year? Uh, I was elected in November of 2018, so I actually just started. I just finished up my first session uh, January to May as a state rep in Lakewood. So when do these elections typically run? They're not, they don't coincide with... Um, they don't coincide with the national elections? Uh, they do. Uh, it depends on what year. So they're every two years in Colorado. So we have, for the state house, we have two-year terms. For the state senate, it's four-year terms. So depending on uh, when the vacancy comes up or maybe someone's term limited, uh, it could be on a presidential. So I will oh, be up for election again in 2020, so that'll hit on a uh, So they're only two-year year. terms. 
that's where my confusion because I'm like, wait, you were just elected. You're you're still in your like first full session, but then there's an election coming again. So yeah. you're serving at the same time as you're preparing to run again. Yes, that's a and lot. So it is a lot. Um, you know, you're not sort of by the time you kind of get your feet under you in your first session, you're then looking towards how do you prepare for not just. You know, you still have one year to serve in your term, but gearing up for an election season. Yeah, that seems like you're doing the two jobs at the same time, pretty much consecutively, as long as you want to stay in office. Yeah, and there are some ethical considerations, too. So we have to be really clear with, you know, when we're being a candidate and when we are being an elected official. And so that can make oh, things a little complicated, really? So too. what does that mean? How do you differentiate... So, for example, uh, anything that I'm doing really at the Capitol um, is related to my job as an elected representative, always. Gotcha. Uh, you know, going to different events, uh, maybe that's a little bit more of a blurred line. You're, of course, a state rep, but you are also uh, gearing up to run for office for your next term. Yeah. And then things that are, you know, a fundraiser, that's very clearly you're going in your capacity as a candidate. Right. So, you know, we're here at the Investor event, yeah. of course, and one of the things that I think is uh, a topic of conversation today is how women are lacking access to funding for their campaign, and that is, regardless of what elected position that they're running for, that it is a really big barrier for women. And is that something that you faced the first time that you ran? I mean, I was new to politics entirely, so I had never run for anything. The money component is probably one of the most overwhelming pieces of running for office. Really? And it, I think it's a barrier uh, for most people unless they're independently wealthy uh, or have a lot of wealthy friends that are interested in donating. Um, so that tends to affect women more than men. I think probably it has to do a lot with women being sort of less, feeling less entitled to run for office. Right. I think that, you know, uh, some men are sort of groomed for that or, or don't think much of it. Right. Yeah, of course, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll run for office where in my, I'll put myself in this boat, I'll speak from experience. A couple of people said, you should run for office. And I thought, I'm not qualified for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, of course, it's a barrier. and it's, it's a barrier, yeah. And in your previous career, before you ran for office, you were a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, are you from, where are you? are not from Colorado. Are no, you from I am, Colorado? Yeah. I, I actually grew up, for the most part, in the district I represent. Oh, my gosh. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'm a native as well. So, yay, natives yeah. unite. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I will say, that is that is something that's, like, grating on me a little bit because Colorado's always been such a great place to yeah. welcome everyone. Yeah. And I now see, you know, people say, you know, I'm a native. And yeah. I think, well, you really had nothing to do with that, right? Yeah. Like, we claim yeah. it as our accomplishment, it's kind of true. It's in not. fact, you know what? When when people aren't a native and they ask me, I play it down because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, they it, feel it, bad. Yeah. You, I mean, I don't think that it should matter. It was more just a funny thing yeah. for me to it, say. It is that. rare, though. It, it is, is rare, rare. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think that it should matter in the big scheme of things. So um, tell me a little bit about, like, how, like, what made you start to, to make the decision to want to be in a political position because it's not an easy change for you, especially in the field of what you did before and to what you're doing now. There's not only is there the quality of life in being in a public life versus being a lawyer, there's a big difference in how the public knows about you. And sure. so what made you make that decision? 
Yeah, well, I will say I've only had one time where I was at the dog park and someone said, aren't you our state representative? I thought, really? you know, I really should have showered this morning. <laughs> but that doesn't happen often. Uh, but yeah, very different responsibilities. Um, for me, I was really driven, honestly, uh, Trump's election was frustrating for me mm. and you know now with a little bit more distance I'm you know I, I can I can see it maybe a little differently but at the time in particular my dad was sick he ended up dying a couple weeks after uh, President Trump was sworn in and those two events were sort of these huge events for me where I thought well I'm unhappy that we have the president that we have and I can be upset or I can try and do something at a level that, you know, I can sort of grasp. And that's when I started getting involved. And there was a group of actually all, all young lawyers, young women, that we all started talking, what can we do? How can we, you know, do we donate more to candidates? Do right. we get more involved at the local level? What can we do so that we don't ever feel responsible for a result like this again? Right. And, uh, so those two things kind of coalesce because I, you just, you realize life is short yeah. and the impact you can have on other people's lives uh, is often a fleeting opportunity. And also if I don't do it, I can't assume someone else will. Right. So it was probably channeling some grief mm-hmm. uh, into saying I can do this and I think I'd be good mm-hmm. at it. And then, you know, that being echoed back through close friends, colleagues that I had worked with in the past, uh, people that had known me from having grown up in Lakewood, and so I gave I'm it a sure go. I'm sure your dad is, you know, looking down on you with such great pride at the fact that you're willing to do this work because I know that it's not easy, and it's definitely not easy doing this work as a woman. Um, and you know, I appreciate the fact that you are, you know, pushing forward and running again. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, now that I hear myself say that, it's like, oh, it's two men <laughs> resulted in me running for office. But but that's okay. Yeah, and I was very close with my father. My father, mm. you know, was an incredible dad, friend, partner, all these things. And so his absence weighs and weighed very heavy on me. But it was also just a turning point. And ironically, I ran into a lawyer friend of mine who's a bit of a mentor uh, downtown in the weeks after my dad had died. And she said to me, I can't wait to see what you do now that your dad's gone. And Mm. I thought, what a weird thing to say to someone. Mm. But her mother had died, I think, three years prior. And in the time after her mother died, she ended an unhealthy marriage, left a firm and started her own now very successful practice you know was traveling rock climbing like she built the life that she had always wanted and sometimes it does take those moments to say do I want to continue doing this or do I want I don't know to make that difference and do you think that that's because you face mortality when you see your parents pass is it an appreciation for the fact that our time on this planet is limited. I think it was more time and how fast it mm. goes. And not, of course, I know I'm going to die, and we knew that my dad was going to die, and then it happens, and it's just from one day to the next that that person's no longer there, and the impact that they had is what's left. Yeah. And so that that really 
you know, sort of ingrained in me, wow, the, mm. the time we have here is limited and our opportunity to actually make lives better for others, but also selfishly for myself. What world do I want to live in? If I have kids, what world do I want to leave for them? What legacy do I want to leave for the people that I care about? Yeah, I relate to that a lot. You know, thank you for sharing that. That's special. So tell me a little bit about what you feel some of the you know, work you've done in this last year has accomplished? Like, what has that been like? Well, my measure, I would say, are the responses I get from my constituents. Um, and one of my priorities was to be, um, so this has nothing to do with legislation, but just to be as accessible as possible. So You mean to your constituents? Yeah. yeah. And honestly, it doesn't have to be a constituent because sometimes their, you know, their state rep isn't, in the building and they stumble into your office and we are a team. I mean, even colleagues across the aisle, I think that we all, our priority is helping our constituents. We just disagree on how best to do that, right? And so for me, one of my priorities was making sure that I was accessible, responding to uh, emails, phone calls, uh, and giving... And she just chuckled when she said that because she <laughs> well, didn't respond to my email. But hey, we're, we're not going to judge. I just told. We're not going to judge. She's going to respond to my email next time. <laughs> Keep I'll, going. I'll never not respond. Keep going. <laughs> um, no, but yes, what happened with you, I try yeah. to make that not happen my, with my constituents. Yeah. And of course, you know, time gets by. Yeah. Um, you know, people leave voicemails, and I'm I need to be better about checking voicemails. Text messaging is the best way to get a hold of me. I know. Um, well, so that was one big yeah. thing, and then the other, you know, uh, for me, one area that I spent a lot of time in was the census this year. So we were able to get uh, $6 million in funding for Colorado to support census efforts. Wow. And it's a lot of money, but really the money is in getting an accurate count. It is hundreds of millions of dollars a year in federal funding. So we pay taxes to the federal government every year. And the question is, do we want those tax dollars going to California, Wyoming, right. or do we want them back here reinvested in the communities that right. we live in? And my answer is, of course, we want them back here in Colorado, mm -hmm. so we need to do everything we can to get those back here. And having an accurate count really is what gets us those dollars. And people don't realize how much we use data for census data. I mean, I use census data all the time and, you know, I just in, in research. Yeah. I mean, it's we poll that data a lot. And if it's old data, it's going to make a difference for businesses like companies or entrepreneurs or anybody that is trying to get a handle on something that's happening in their state. If, it, if it's dated information, it's very difficult. I've seen it happen with a couple of different companies and it's that's so I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, good. you're yeah. absolutely business. You know, it's down yeah. to not where to, not just where do we put a store, but what products do we put right, in that store? Exactly. Law enforcement uses it. We right. were um, we really built a broad coalition and uh, talking originally to uh, the uh, Farm Bureau and they said, well, we don't use census data, we use uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture data. And I said, where do you think that data comes from? The census. Really? It underpins oh. so much. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, so what's next? What's gonna you know what's gonna happen from now until the election? What are you gonna do to 
you know, get reelected, sort of at the high level, you know, because uh, the reason why I ask that question is because to a lot of our listeners, the election seems like a long ways away, yeah. so they may not be focused on it. So how can, you know, people find out what their candidates are doing and how to get involved? So my immediate priority isn't necessarily getting reelected. It's doing the best job that I can with this last mm. term. I think that also helps in re-election uh, and you know I'm I won by 21 points or 21 percent which is a big win in uh, Lakewood so that to me means you know people were really looking to, to continue the legacy that uh, Representative Brittany Pedersen now Senator Brittany Pedersen had set and so I would say I've done things you know sort of according to my morals and principles but always keeping my district in mind and I think if I continue to do that and I continue yeah. to be accessible and I work hard and don't take anything for granted, I'll be fine. What I would say to listeners, um, it is far away, but it's also like a train that leaves the station. If we're not paying attention and putting our time and money and effort into the good candidates, we might see ourselves with a runaway train that's yeah. too far down right. the tracks. You're right. Um, which I think we saw a little bit of, well... Well, a lot of we that. saw a lot of that. <laughs> let's 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 be serious. We saw a lot of that. Yeah, I think we saw a lot of outcomes that yes. everybody just went, "Wait, what happened?" Yes, exactly. Uh, that had been going on for a long time, people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your effort in you know representing your community and for being a woman that's willing to you know fight for your place to have your voice heard. Thank we really you. appreciate it. And I also want to um, ask you to let listeners know how they can reach you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yes. You know, you talked about opening your own business. In many ways, running for office is like opening your own business. You got to get capital. You sort of survey you, who your clients are going to be. Then you do marketing, build a website, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can empathize in some way. Yeah. Um, best way to get a hold of me is uh, I'll give you my cell phone. It's 303-949-1411 or my email, which is my first name, Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y at carrytipper.com. Tipper is T-I-P-P-E-R. And your website is carrytipper.com. It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So people can find you there. Thank so you. thank you again, Carrie. It's been wonderful to speak with you. And listen, we wish you a great next term, Thanks. first of all, because that's the priority. Yeah. And then really successful re-election. All right, great. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you for what you're doing. All right, guys, thanks for sticking with us for these bonus episodes where we are interviewing some really amazing candidates that are running for a variety of positions, both at the state level in Colorado and at the federal level. And it just so happens that we have a male candidate in the House. His name is John Walsh, and he is running for U.S. Senate, and he's running against Cory Gardner. So, John, thank you for popping on with us for a few minutes. Oh, no, my pleasure. And, you know, it's really funny because we're not going to talk about you, per se. <laughs> and I think that it would be really wonderful to hear from you what you feel that voters can do to help support more female candidates, to, run, to make a fair race. This is, I mean, I, I feel like we want the best candidates to be voted in. So we want, we want women to have the opportunity to run fairly against men. Right. And we right. know that there are a lot of barriers to why women don't have the equal opportunity to run, you know, whether it's fundraising or whether it's just even the stigma of being a mom or and, and an employee and then also running for office, it's harder for women. And so I'm asking you, how can we level that playing field? Well, I think one of the most important things is to really help create that pipeline of great female candidates, women candidates. And that means supporting 
the top line candidates, but also making sure that you support organizations and investor is a perfect example of that, that really work to mentor and encourage and, and develop and train young women and, and women of you know of whatever age as they're getting ready to get into the political world. It's not an easy thing to dive into a political campaign, especially if you've never done it before. Yeah, and right. if you have kids at home, and this is true for men and women, but you know, the, as you say, the it's sort still of the, different. It's it still different. still different. It's still different. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, my wife and I have three kids and there's no question that I see how the difference is between a dad and a mom who's jumping into a political, into a political campaign. So I think it is so important that people consciously think about creating an environment that in which women candidates can prosper. And that means starting, you know, at the, even at the state and local mm. level and working up but also when great women candidates hit the uh, hit the you know biggest highest ticket races right. that you actively go out and support them right it's funny because we look at the 2016 numbers and 33% of all individual contributions came from women wow and so although women are definitely not running at the same level that men are in terms of how many like there's, there's just in terms of sheer quantity of of participant candidates but 33% of women are making the donations to the campaigns, but they're primarily funding men. Interesting. And so isn't that kind of an interesting thing, right? And it, It's very interesting, especially since, you know, some of, the, some of the people that I've come across in the course of this Senate campaign who are most effective in actually pulling networks of people together to help raise money are women as well. And if those folks would, you know, focus in on the possibility of really actively supporting women, I think uh, it would make a big difference over time. Yeah, I think so too. And um, so what else can you share with us about your experience at running against women? Well, you know, it's one of the, we have a really a great field of folks and there are actually seven women in the yeah, race. Yeah, we were just talking about that. I think that's incredible. In fact, when I looked at the, like when I was doing my prep for today, I, when I was looking at the Senate race and I saw seven women, I thought, okay, this is amazing. First of all, this is amazing. Um, uh, but how has that process been for you? Uh, it's actually been really valuable as an education because, of course, we're often at events together like we are here today. And when we do that, I feel like I am learning an enormous amount about some of the challenges that women face who mm -hmm. get into politics, some of the issues that, that I might have been aware of but didn't understand in the same way and the, the way they talk about it. And so it's been an incredible education experience for me. And it just brought home something that I know you know really well, which is if you don't have those voices in the campaign, if you don't have those voices in the political world, uh, you're missing something. You're missing yeah. something essential to not just the way politics works, but to a perspective on how our society works. Right. Well, I appreciate that very much because I think part of the conversation we need to have about how women are advancing in different areas of business and in politics is how do we help the men support the women? Because right, right now, women, you know, we can we can pound our chests and say equal rights, equal pay, equal opportunity. Um, and, and yes, we can do that. And then we need to step up to the plate ourselves. But we also need to look at it and, and help men who might need some assistance 
assistance on what they could do differently because I think sometimes just people don't really know what that means. And so I, I feel like you have a voice in that too. So yes. I, I hope that after today you might look at it just a little bit differently and, and you know help others really make informed decisions and give women that equal opportunity to make it a fair race. Uh, absolutely. And you know one of one of the things is I come at this and think about running in a race with a, a bunch of wonderful women in the, as well is thinking about Okay, learning about what those challenges are, learning where the barriers may still exist and do still exist, yeah. gives me a different uh, a different platform to think about these issues and to act mm-hmm. on them. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for being willing to come on a show where we're interviewing all women. You'll be our one male voice in these bonus episodes. Well, proud to so be there. <laughs> thank you very much. We appreciate you, and really good luck to you um, in your race. Thanks very much. Have a great day. You guys are still with us while we are recording at Invest Her, where we are speaking to some female candidates that actually have really amazing stories to share about not only why they're running, but what they're going to do once they are in office. And this has been a really interesting event because we're talking a lot about the barriers that stop women from taking the chance to seek a public position. And I think that what Investor is doing is really incredible. And one of their advisors is going to sit down with me now. Her name is Gail Shetler. Please tell me I said that right. You said that right. I said that right. Yes. <laughs> and actually, I met Gail um, at a Colorado Women's Hall of Fame event because you are, you've been inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. I have. That is so incredible. Uh, but you were on a panel discussion. I can't remember what the topic of the panel was. But do you remember me standing up and I telling you? I do remember. You? I remember that you stood up and asked a question. And I remember that there were some wonderful women on that panel. There were some really great women in the yeah. panel. Yeah. And I stood up to share the story about how a, a man had approached me once to tell me that he found it offensive that I was only featuring women on my podcast. Um, right? When we had the question answer period. and I was, How I novel. Was, I was sharing with you guys that these the, uh, this man came up and said, well... I just think that it's really like feminist of you to only have women on your podcast. And I said, well, but there's lots of podcasts for men. And, and having a female host only talking to women is less than 20% of all podcasts. So there's lots of place for men. It's not as if there's not a place I'm, for I'm them. I'm actually but. very happy to hear that because there are not enough opportunities for women to speak out. And our voices need to be heard and you're helping them be heard. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you've done, because as a former lieutenant governor and someone that's run for several positions, you have you have paved the path for other women to take a chance to run for office. And you're a supporting investor, which is an up and coming political organization that's going to change the way women have opportunities. So thank you for what you've done. I think investor is going to be part of changing the world and a very important part of changing the world. So what made you get involved with Investor from, you know, from the beginning? Like, how'd that happen? Um, actually, my daughter-in-law is a professor at the law school, and she invited me to come speak to a group of law students. Uh, two of them were Jennifer and Jordan, and so afterwards we talked politics, and they were, we were all sort of deeply depressed about the last uh, presidential election and the results of what's happened since then. So... We talked about getting involved, and we, I had, with my very close friend, Judy Wagner, it started electing women after I ran for governor and lost the governor's race. That was uh, 20, more than 20 years ago. Wait, sorry, that's what I was going to ask. What year did you run for governor? 1998. And you lost just by a small fraction, 5, right? 5,000 votes. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Okay. So anyway, I invited them to come to an electing women event. We started yeah. electing women to support women running for governor in the U.S. Senate around the country. And they 
loved it. And I yeah. love them. I think they're the most wonderful young women. I feel so honored and privileged to know them. So they then came to me another time and said, well, we want to have young women and young people supporting women running for Colorado offices at all levels. And I thought, this is fabulous. Get women, encourage them to run, and give them the support they need to run. And raising mm. money is what you really have to do. It's very powerful to raise money. Because mm. like it or not, that is the law of the land in politics. And if you want to be successful, you have to raise money. So they're helping women be successful. And that's the biggest barrier, right, is the financial piece? Well, there are many, there are many, if for running for office, there are many barriers, but the financial piece is certainly a very big one. Mm. Um, it was from the time I ran for governor until the next time a woman ran for governor was 20 years. From the time we had the last woman running for the Senate in 1998, it was Dottie Lamb. It was, it's been 21 years since we've had women running for the Senate. So it's not just money, it is people saying, I'm gonna step up and do it. It's other people saying, of course you can do it. And for women, it's having somebody who will get behind you and say, I'm with you all the way. I'm going to help you do everything you need to have done. And you can count on me. I will always be there for you. And I had that. And women need that when they're running for office. I feel like we, there had been some progress previously. Like the statistic that you just, during the little presentation that happened, you just talked about the fact that there were nine women at some point nine women governors in the United States, and we're actually right now at nine women governors. So We dropped down to, uh, I think there were four at one of our lows. Of course, the low point was zero. Uh, yeah. Then we dropped down to four, and now we're back up to nine. Why do you think that there wasn't progress in these last 20 years? There is a feeling that women cannot be CEOs, that they're not executives. That feeling is very prevalent. I heard it when I was running for governor, I would hear even women, even Democratic women, and I'm a Democrat, saying to me, I'm not gonna vote for you because you're a woman and I don't think a woman should be governor. That was 20 years ago and you still hear it today. So it is, it is an easier thing for women to run for a legislative position than to run for an executive position. And I think that's the hardest thing. But it's also so important because young women and young men need to see a woman executive, not just in politics, but in business, in the arts, everywhere. We need more women executives. We do things differently. And I think it's, um, we're wasting our talent if we do not have women governors and we don't have women executives. And that's also because it's, it's setting the path for other you know, younger women to see that that's possible, right? I mean, we, we can't envision ourselves doing something that you can't see somebody already doing. So it's like setting that example right. is so, so, so important. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the road pavers that get there don't have an easy path. It's not an easy path. But let me just give you an example. One of the things, one of my jobs as lieutenant governor was to negotiate the cleanup agreements on Rocky Mountain Arsenal and Rocky Flats. At the time, Rocky Flats was the cleanup um, company was headed by a white man. Everybody involved in the leadership positions was white male. The Secretary of Energy, Department of Energy, was responsible for the cleanup was Hazel O'Leary, an African-American woman and in the Clinton administration. And the, they were getting nowhere. They were simply unable, after 20 years of talking, to come up with a way to really clean up, where everybody could agree on how you would clean up the Rocky, Rocky Flats. Well, Hazel O'Leary made a change at the top. 
she knew a young African-American woman who was a nuclear engineer, and she appointed her to be in charge of the cleanup for the Department of Energy at Rocky Flats. Her name was Jessie Roberson. She's a fabulous woman, and she and I were able to work together, and in six months, we had brought all of the parties together. Very complicated negotiation. We brought all the parties together, and we had a cleanup agreement, and Rocky Flats is cleaned up now, and it's a wildlife refuge. So it was a woman, an African-American woman, who said, we need to have some new talent and some new thinking, and she reached into the organization and found the right woman to lead the effort, and it was very successful. We need all of us. Right, right. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I know that you know I have you know, I've had a couple of previous podcasts where I discuss some of the reasons why I think that women are not stepping up to the plate. It's not us; just we are standing up and saying we want more opportunity, we want equality. But as women ourselves, are we actually stepping up and doing that? I, I don't think all the time. And right. you know, a lot of things I ask, a lot of questions I ask my guests that come on this show is, why do you think that that is? And it comes down to a lot of things, but you know, self confidence, right? And and having that role model in front of you to see what the path is to get from here to there. If you don't, if you can't see it. It, it's very difficult, and I think that um, I think that you're supporting a cause that's doing that. Though you've been doing that, it's I mean, very, you're setting that example. It's very important. I think it's changing. Mm. I think it's changing a lot. Um, Emily's List, which is the premier organization for supporting pro-choice Democratic women running for offices at all levels, in uh, 2016 had a less than a thousand women call them and ask for help. As of this round between now and 2020, so far by 2018, that have that had over 40,000. Wow. So women are stepping up and they're saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to run. I care about this and get behind me." So it's why I say to a lot of men, don't you think you're the only one who can run for office? You go find the right woman and get behind her. I think things are changing. Yeah, I like that very much. I hope that's the case. So what can our, I mean, share with our listeners what they can do to find out more about who the candidates are that are running in their areas for positions, whether it's man or woman, because I feel like the other piece of this is that we as people of the United States do not understand our own election process very well. Well, it's complicated. (laughs) It is. And I, I, you know, even researching for these interviews today, I did a ton of research and there were things that made me scratch my head and I'm like, wait, what? I thought I knew this. I, you know, I've, I've. I've been alive 45 years. I've voted several times. I just gave my age out on air, which is interesting. But I've voted several times, and there's still lots like I feel like I don't know that I did or didn't do. Well, I hope everybody votes. To me, that is number one. You've got to vote. And if you're going to vote, you normally will take the time. There's a lot of information. You normally take the time to look and see who's running, and you can read about their backgrounds. Um, it's, It's in the press. It's online. It's everywhere. Um, it just have just have to take the time and make the effort to a decide you're going to vote, which is so important, and then b look at the candidates and find out about them. If you're interested in women running in Colorado, look at the Invest Her website because they have information about all of the candidates, all the women candidates who are running. But it's really it doesn't take that long right. to inform yourself. Go to some events. Um, you know, candidates show up at county fairs and state fairs, and if you don't want to do that. You know, go to the People's Fair or go to something where or the social media now. So, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, social media is obviously the most important place for young people to yeah. find out. Right. Uh, for for people my age, it's usually some other source. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, social media has all the information. 
And you can find out about the candidates. You can find out about what they believe in. You can find out why they want to run. And you can decide if you want to help them. And I hope, besides just voting, but we'll start there, that your listeners will say, this is really important. Public policy is really, really important. I need to get involved in one of these campaigns because I care what's happening in our state and our country right now. Yeah, I agree. I, and, and I agree specifically because we are, there's the downside of social media is that it's really easy for people to complain. It's really easy for people to point fingers and disagree, but you know what? Then go take some action. If you don't yeah. like, if you don't like the way that something is happening in your government, if you don't like who is running a certain part of your government, guess what? You get to vote. You get to choose. You, you get, get to, to go to campaign. You could even talk to your friends. Like when there was recently in Denver, when there was a runoff election, yeah, you know, we had a runoff election. Um, I went to a couple of different parties, like right before that was happening, and I talked to all of my friends that lived in Denver, and none of them had voted. I'm like, how oh, it's horrible. I, it's like horrible, <laughs> and I'm like, you guys all need to vote. And vote. here's who I think you should vote for. But you should just educate yourself and go vote. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of people, and between the ages oh of my like. Gosh. 30 and 45, they didn't even know that there was a runoff. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious so people. Just read a little bit about it. It's just, it's so important. And uh -huh. go to some events. The, the more local the race is, the more likely you are to be able to meet the candidates yeah. and talk to them about the things you care about. And I think that the, the down part to doing that, though, is that sometimes when people go search online about candidates, what they hear from the media isn't always accurate. So I will preface that with, if you're going to go online to find out information about a candidate, you need to look at a variety of sources. Yes. Because anybody can post anything about their opinion of a person. Don't always believe that all that information is true. Do your research. Like There's a lot of misinformation, huge amount of misinformation, but do look at a number of different sources, and not just social media. Look at some of the other news sources. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, Gail, thank you very much. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Thank you. It's been fun talking to yeah, you. Yeah, and thank you for coming on the show, and, and we look forward to supporting more women candidates on Grit and Grace. Because that would be great. This is what we do here, and we're not necessarily going to talk politics. We're going to talk about how to support women to make more decisions to we support, support other women. We should support women across the board. Exactly. Okay, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all the exciting things that are happening because we're going to be bringing you new stuff on the Himalaya app, which is only going to be available there at different times as it comes out. So thank you again for listening. And I want to tell you one special thing about Himalaya. As a social impact entrepreneur, one thing I appreciate about them the most is that they are not only focused on you as the listener and what matters to you, but they allow you to support your favorite podcasters and we totally feel your love. So thank you very much. Studio provided by Be Creative Media and Learning Lab in Lakewood. This amazing video is provided by Janine at Tailwind Media. Podcast notes and editorial provided by the Podcast Maven and my friend Les helps with all the post-production. And if you're looking for information on any of this amazing tribe of people that help bring you the show, let me know and I'll be happy to get you their information. And you can find me, I'm Tauber Lee, and all that I do with Tauber Lee's tribe or at Corporate Cause Agency at Tauber. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E dot -E -E com.